title is used for identification purposes only. Union campaign material is not to be distributed on official union resources, equipment, and or publications, including social, social media sites not created with union funds. Well, good evening, good afternoon, good morning, whenever it is that you're taking the time to listen to this episode of the Solidarity Effect podcast. I just want to thank everybody for taking the time uh, to tune in this week and to uh, listen to some great conversations we are going to have. I'd like to introduce, uh, for your listening pleasure, uh, Dora Cervantes, who is the General Secretary Treasurer of the International Association of Machinists and Aerospace Workers. Uh, Dora, thank you for... Uh, coming today and, and having a conversation, and it's great to have you here. Thank you for inviting me, and good day to all the listeners. Um, and so, you know, there, we just want to just have a conversation about, there's, there's a lot of things that are going on in the world, obviously. We're in the middle of an election cycle for the GST's office, and we want to just have a conversation and clear the air about a lot of the things that have been uh, unfortunately, been thrown out out there during this campaign. So um, we just want to, if you could, can you just tell our listeners about yourself and your background and really kind of how did you get started in this in this this whole scenario that uh, that we're in right now? Sure. I come from a family of card-carrying union members. My father and my grandfather both worked on the railroads, and together they have over 55 years of combined service. Both were proud members of the Brotherhood of Maintenance Away employees. And I also have a brother who worked in the railroads, and he's a proud member of TCU. Growing up, I spent some time in the railroad yard uh, with the employee picnics, Labor Day picnics, and I was intrigued by the big machinery and the trains and the rails and just the operation of the whole railroad yard. And early in 1988, I applied for a job at the railroads, and I was told they didn't hire women. I guess I was too girly. So you actually, so you, so you actually applied to work on the railroad, huh? I, I did. What? Uh, I'm just curious. Uh, what? What? What kind of job were you applying for? I mean, there's a multitude of jobs, obviously. Correct. Well, I didn't want office and clerical. I actually wanted to be out there handling the big machinery. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Changing the signal lights, the, sure, you know, the signal sure. switches. Uh, but you didn't get it, though, huh? No, I didn't. And, and why is that? I didn't hire women. Yeah, that's just, We're just not strong enough, I guess, to be out on a railroad yard. Yeah, well, I, I totally disagree with that. But, yeah, it was the times, the, the, it was the times that you were living in, right? So, that is correct. So, okay. So I, I went to go and apply for the airlines, and I got hired at Southwest in 1989. And uh, they're represented by the IAM. And it was during contract negotiations, being raised with by a union family, that I naturally wanted to get involved. I know that uh, negotiating a contract would uh, have an impact on my livelihood, my benefits. So I jumped in, became a shop steward, and got involved. So um, what was it like being a shop floor steward? I mean, it, it's... And the reason I ask that is uh, my background is in manufacturing. I, I come out of a manufacturing facility. So when we, we talk about the, the uh, you know, uh, transportation and the airlines and railroad and, and, and stuff of that nature, what was it like being a steward for an airline? Well, it's different. Uh, there was a lot of people that, uh, a lot of our members that didn't know the benefits under a contract. Mm. And I also served as a voice for those that, uh, were afraid to speak, and just basically trying to educate them that you were covered under a collective bargaining agreement that gave you that right, that gave you the benefits of better wages and vacation. It was a lot of work, but it was um, it was rewarding. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I tell you, being being a shop floor steward is uh, it's rewarding and it's a very uh, a thankless job, isn't it? Yes, it is. I mean, you, you really you really get beat up on the front lines like that, but it's at, at the same time it is very rewarding. It's uh, you really are truly the front line defense for workers. Absolutely, mm -hmm. absolutely. Uh, so, um, what uh, what local were you part of? Local Lodge twenty one ninety eight. Okay, that's your home local. Where that was, is my home local in, in Houston, Texas. In Houston, Texas. Okay, all right. Uh, did you ever serve on, uh, what else did you do besides doing a shop steward? So I also served on the health and safety committee as part of the labor side as a shop steward uh, to make sure that uh, we worked under 
safe conditions and that our employees or our members' health was uh, first and foremost. And I also served as uh, the union rep during our training and new hire classes. In that capacity, I enrolled all our new all our new hires, explained mm. the benefits of a contract, what it was to belong to the IAM, showed them where the where the union office was, and uh, that they had a grievance procedure, and that we have a contract that's in black and white that defines what the company can and can't do, and what is expected of us as members. You know, new new hire orientation is one of the most critical. Um, critical jobs that, that we do within the labor movement. And it's, um, when, when talking to new hires, did they, what kind of level of satisfaction did they have? In other words, you know, obviously if I'm a new hire coming into work at the airlines, I don't know anything about what's going on. So it's probably pretty intimidating, you know, for, you know, a, a new hire to come into that situation as it is with anybody. But, uh, Having a friendly voice and somebody to guide them had to have been pretty rewarding for you, wasn't it? It is, and I think that I'm a good talker just by nature, <laughs> working at customer service. So, um, you know, there's very little knowledge in Texas. Um, it's a right-to-work state, and when people come into the airline, they're confused or have little to no knowledge about the union. Okay. So you just talk to them. You have conversation with them on, on what it means to be a union member. So, and you're, because you're governed under a different set of laws than from like where I come from manufacturing, it's, it's, it's different, right? I mean, Correct. it's different. There's different, there's different things you need to know. What other positions did you hold at the local other than shop steward? I was the recording secretary for about seven years. Okay. And, uh, the recording secretary, I was responsible for putting out the bulletins to our, our, our members and just uh, reading the communications and taking the minutes, which prepared me for the job that I do now as the GST, because yeah. I take the minutes at the executive council right, and right. put them out to our membership. Right. So that was an added plus. Yeah, and it's uh, you know obviously uh, uh, keeping that line of communication to the membership is vitally important, especially important. especially at the local lodge level. Yeah, right, exactly. I. It's it's ironic. I, I actually served as a recording secretary for a short period of time in my local too, and and boy, it was uh, it was an interesting position. It really was. There's a lot of responsibilities with it. I think a lot more than what people may think, and uh, I can I can only imagine what kind of responsibilities you would have had with airlines and a large local like the one you had, right? Yes. At one point, we had over two thousand members, and wow. You know, I also served as an organizer within my local, you know, trying to organize our members to attend our union meetings. Mm -hmm. uh, we had a large scale of women at my local lodge. And, you know, as women, we're the caretakers of our families. So we had more excuses on why people didn't attend the meeting. So one of my goals was to recruit and organize our members to attend the meeting. Mm -hmm. So early on, with the help of our legal counsel, then Allison Beck, uh, we set up almost like a daycare, a local lodge daycare, wow. to encourage our, our female members to attend the union meeting. And we had a separate room set up for for their kids. Mm -hmm. And uh, we had two of our kids, our members' kids, uh, that would come in and help watch the children while they attended the meeting and assist with homework and just watch them so that the mothers had the opportunity to attend meetings. I, that's fantastic, and I'm sure they were appreciative of that. You know, people that you know that the the responsibilities that people have with their families, especially young families, is is immense. And in order to find some time to come to a lodge meeting, uh, that's that, that's pretty impressive. I bet they were pretty appreciative of. of the they ability. were very appreciative, and myself being a mother, I knew the struggle, so I wanted to make it easier. If I could make someone's job easier, then that's. That's what I'm going to set to do. So you talked about organizing, and um, it's it's funny because you know it's you never just wear one hat or even two. It's usually five or six, right? It's and a this, multitude of them. It, yes, it is. So let's let's talk about organizing a little bit. So uh, a tough job, probably the toughest in the entire yes. organization. It really is, and just because there's so much reward, but there's also so much. Um, Disappointment, I guess. You know, if, yes. you, if, you, if the workers don't uh, don't stick together. But to talk a little bit about your experience as an organizer, bringing people into the organization. 
organization. So as the recording secretary, I was responsible for soliciting uh, picketing permits to allow to handbill and sign people at the airports. Under transportation, it's very challenging because there we have to organize them all as a whole. And they could be at call centers, they could be at airports, and we have to cover every airport in North America. It's all so employees. What, what the hell is a picketing permit? Again, you know, you're speaking to somebody that's not in, 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 in the industry. So, I mean, hey, you can throw a picket line up. But well, no, it's at not the like airports, at the airports, you have to solicit uh, okay. a picketing permit or a solicitation permit oh, okay. to allow us uh, to talk to the members or potential members and the employees when they get off the bus. Um, I was fortunate because I had an airline ID, so I had access to the airport, but we still needed permission to be out there to picket. So there was a lot of responsibilities just within that realm. Uh, to the membership, you know, so it's... Uh, and I did work many organizing campaigns. Um, I can tell you that uh, we worked the Continental Airlines campaign uh, for 17 years. Uh, two of my pregnancies, I stood out there hand-billing and signing eight cards in 102-degree weather in Houston, Texas. And wow. Traveled to the other locations, but it was something that had to be done mm -hmm. because I knew that uh, working under a collective bargaining agreement, when we went to the table... The first thing the company threw out is that we were overpaid because the employer next door was paying far lesser wages and benefits, and we couldn't have that. I wanted to organize them so that they can be basically just level the playing field, and they can be mm -hmm. where we're at, and we can only climb higher from there. Right, right, exactly. What, what other positions did you, did you hold uh, within the district when you were there other than organizer? I was a district organizer, and then shortly after that, I became a general chairman. Okay. And under the general chairman, I oversaw about 26 contracts, TWA, Southwest, British Airways, Aer Lingus, uh, some of the foreign flags. I also had uh, some of the, uh, the uh, fuelers, the caterers, and the park-and-fly people. So I had a variety of groups that we represented, different contracts different system board of adjustments, different grievance procedures, different negotiations, different arbitrations, and all that falls within timelines. You have uh, dates to meet and filings to do. So it was a lot to juggle, but I was up for the challenge. Yeah, and, and, and being uh, in that position, it's, uh, you know, I can already, I can already tell you, extremely well-rounded, you know, going from a shop floor steward, to an officer, uh, to an organizer, to a, a general chair, I, I mean, you're, you're really uh, stepping it up from every level, you know, as far as responsibility and the ability to stay organized and focused on a lot of that's, I mean, those sounds like an awful lot of work being a general chair over that many uh, and contracts and then that, that general area, right? Yes, area. Um, I did a lot of reading and paid a lot of attention so that I could better myself and knowing those contracts. But the good thing about it is that even during those times, I was still organizing and coming from the airlines, that's like my second language. So um, 1998, 1999, we set out to organize the United Passenger Service Group. And we were successful because I could speak their language and understand what they were saying, their airline lingo. And it was easy for us to organize them, and we were successful in bringing 20,000 United Passenger Service people in. 20,000? 20,000. 20, wow. That's uh... And that's 20,000 spread across North America at airports, just about every airport. So it makes it difficult when you try to organize nationwide. And, and how, long, how long did that take? That one took us a couple of years, but I can tell you that I had a more challenging one with the Continental Ramp or the fleet service. Okay. That took us 17 years and three attempts. TWU came in, Teamsters came in, and then the final was uh, we were up against Teamsters when they merged with United Airlines. It was IEM and Teamsters, and we were successful in bringing them in and bringing the Continental Passenger Service. Wow. That's, we bring them in in the thousands. Yeah, that's uh, that's super impressive. I mean, just, just the sheer time frame you're talking the the perseverance needed to just continue to just fight for the rights of, of the of the people that are looking for something better, you know, and, and having a contract. That's 
That's challenging. That had to have been a lot of work. It's a lot of work, and uh, of it's very rewarding. I bet a lot of personal time, too. It's a lot, lot of personal a, time. A lot of Sleepless person. nights. Yep, yep, that's Long right. days. I bet it was pretty satisfying, though, not only just for your satisfaction when that when that campaign ended in successfully, but I could only about imagine the joy it brought to the members that decided that finally Absolutely. we've got something. Yeah. Uh, let's talk a little bit about... Uh, uh, some more of the responsibilities that you had in, in your position. So from general chair, uh, where'd you go from there? I became a special assistant. Uh, no, I became a special rep to, in the transportation territory. Okay. And served in that capacity, which was an enhanced of uh, what I was previously doing. You know, I had um, investigations and more organizing and just assisted uh with uh, contract negotiations and arbitrations. And then shortly after that, um, I became a Grand Lodge rep. And we were still doing organizing because we were under attack with mergers and we did more negotiations mm -hmm. and still served in the same capacity to assist the districts and the local lodges in whatever they need. As a Grand Lodge rep, you're on call 24-7 for whatever comes up at any time. That's right. That's true. Uh, and it's uh, work never ends, does it? Never. Yeah, I mean, that's okay, though. Yes, it is. Yep, it really is. Uh, what other responsibilities did you have? Uh, did you, were you involved with, uh, just kind of give a brief overview of what your responsibilities as a GL or Grand Lodge rep was as far as... Same thing, arbitrations, negotiations, right. and we did a lot of organizing. The majority of the time we spent organizing and trying to recruit and bring new members in. Did you deal with, you dealt with investigations and yes. stuff like that too? Okay. And working with like the auditors and... We worked with the auditors uh, on financial investigations okay. and worked with other Grand Lodge reps on just election protests and shop steward protests and... Constitutional complaints. Constitutional complaints, yes. Yeah. Um, so from there, um, where'd, where'd you go from there? Yeah. Uh, in 2012, uh, Robert Roach, our general vice president of transportation, became the secretary treasurer. And shortly after that, he asked me if I would come up to headquarters and help him organize and restructure the GST department. Being a Grand Lodge rep, he said uh, he was going to be there three years. I could always go back to the field. Mm -hmm. I'm from Texas and did not want to uproot and move to D.C. or to headquarters, but I did. Mm -hmm. I did uh, what was best for the membership. And Sometimes there's a lot of personal sacrifice that comes with these positions, isn't there? Absolutely. My husband and my kids mm -hmm. were left behind. And uh, so I went in and uh, our financial um, status wasn't at the best. Uh, we were. Yeah. In what the kind red. of what kind of what kind of shape was was everything in when when you stepped up to that role? Give us kind of an overview of where we were at at that time. So we were spending money with um, without boundaries. We had vendors that had long been in place there that were bleeding us, mm -hmm. and there was really not a lot of organization, a lot of policies uh, in the way the spending was done. So I started to look at ways in which we could cut back and changing policies or implementing policies uh, to structure our spending, uh, more transparency, more accountability on what we were spending on. It was a major undertaking, but we started to scratch at the surface and get an idea of where we were headed. At that point, we were also in decline in membership. Our membership had been declining for years and it was simple math. When you look at what we were bringing in and what we were putting out, we were not going to make it for the, another five years. Wow. That had to have been a very stressful time, not just for you, but for, for everybody on the executive council and in leadership across the, across the union. Absolutely. Um, so, so, how, so how did you go from being the assistant uh, to then GST Robert Roach to becoming the GST yourself? So when uh, GST Roach retired in July of 2015, I had been in that office for almost three years. And mm. so I had learned all the ins and outs out of that office. I worked with him side by side. Mm. So I had learned the GST duties and responsibilities while working with him. 
And uh, when it came up for his retirement, he asked that I serve as the GST because I was the most qualified and had the most knowledge. And unanimously, the executive council voted uh, and adopted me as the general secretary treasurer. Unanimously. Unanimously. Everybody on the executive council. Every single colleague. Nice. Um, and well, obviously, that was a vote of confidence. Clearly, yes. you know, um, considering what you were what you were dealing with and what you were faced with, uh, and it, it had to have been comforting knowing that. Uh, you had a unanimous consent from, from your colleagues. Yes. Um, so from Shop Stewart uh, to GST, uh, wow, what a, what, a, what a trip. You know what I'm saying? It's I been mean, a long, bumpy what, road, what, what but uh, I was up for the challenge. Right. And, uh, and, and clearly, uh, with, with having the responsibilities in all of those positions up until that point, it, it, it certainly... Uh, as with anybody, uh, you know, having to wear multiple, multiple hats, not just one or two, but multiple hats and being exposed to so many different aspects of the organization and their responsibilities. Uh, you think that that really propelled you to that position is because of that experience? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. So currently as GST, um, give the listeners just kind of a just kind of a brief overview of, you know, what are your, some of your main responsibilities? There may be some people that really just don't understand a lot about what the position is. So if you can just give them an overview of kind of like what you do. A lot. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, I know. And we could probably spend two hours talking yes, about that. Yes, as the chief financial officer of the organization, I make sure that uh, we have enough money to, you know, administer operational and administrational needs uh, for our members, our organization, and that we have enough resources for our local lodge and our district lodge. Got to make sure that uh, the lights stay on, that all the bills are paid, that payroll is met, that our field staff has all the necessary tools and equipment that they need to get the job done. And we follow all the Department of Labor um, laws and policies, tax filings, LMs, anything and everything that has to do with every penny that is collected from dues dollar has to be accounted for. So where's the organization sitting at today? The organization is financially stable. Okay. All our funds have done amazingly well. One of my uh, projects early on when I discovered that uh, we weren't doing so good with the money we were putting out and bringing in is that um, we met with the financial advisors and put together a five-year plan and we knew we had to make some cuts and we knew that we had to organize and grow our organization so that we can be around for a few more years so every year I do a five-year projection of where we're at where we're going you know what's it going to take us to get us to the future and when we put the plan together, it was adopted by our executive council that this is the direction that we need to go. And uh, everybody was up for change. And we had to take the organization you know, gosh, in a that, new direction. That, that's got to be just, uh, that's got to be really challenging too. And what a, what a, what a stressful time that had to have been you know you just you, you're you're working your way up to get to the spot where you can you know make a really significant difference in the in the role as a gst and then boom just having having everything kind of slammed in your face about the massive change that needs to take place it had to have been just a stressful time just to open up the box and say oh my gosh it was very stressful and the added stress came that uh six months later we were into a convention I've never wow. put a convention together, and it was <laughs> happening in Canada. So just trying to get across the border and trying to get our merchandise back and forth, it was a nightmare. But it was done. It was a challenge, and like every other challenge, you do the best, and you overcome, and you move on. Uh, and it had to have been stressful for your colleagues as well, knowing that the decisions that you were going to place before them uh, were going to be tough decisions. It, yes, it was it was tough, but you know previously all they kept getting was a balance. Oh. And you know I changed the way the spreadsheets were presented, presented budgets, and the costs that everybody was enduring in their territories. I was more open about where the money was going and the direction we were heading. 
And while it was tough for all of us to make these decisions, it was placed on all of us to do so right. in order to move forward. Working as one. Correct. So within your more than five years as GST, uh, and you've already touched on, on a few of the things, uh, what have you been able to accomplish? I mean, you talked about the general fund. You talked about the financial stability. Uh, like, just as a percentage, where are we at from where are we at now versus where we were at when you started? So our general fund has grown about 155 percent. Uh, Wait a minute, 155 percent? Yes. Wow, that's that's. I didn't yes. mean to interrupt. That's that, that's a huge number. That's, um, that's a big deal considering everything that's gone on in the world. But go ahead. Continue. Our defense fund um, in 2008, we took uh, substantial money out to create an organizing fund, and we have replenished that money into the defense fund and then some. And we have money aside so that we can cover organizing costs, and our pension is financially stable. So we've done really well, and this came um, to shock to our financial planners because originally the five-year plan put us at um, saving, uh, you know, what, uh, about 8% into the general fund, and we doubled it. Wow. The expectation laid before us was doubled, and we were able to increase our balance in half the time that we projected. That's how lean we cut. So when we're talking about cuts and making the changes and, and making the hard decisions to just, you know, have the organization persevere for you know, years and decades to come, uh, just recently there was even a more difficult decision, and that is uh, there were actually layoffs within the Grand Lodge. Uh, so you can talk a little bit about that. That had to have been just... You know, I mean, we, as representatives, you're constantly fighting to try Absolutely. to preserve. So here we are faced with such an enormous issue with the coronavirus and loss of membership and the financial aspects. Can you just touch a little bit about how that scenario was? So actually, out? we've had two layoffs. So the first one happened in 2017, and that's when we were starting to put the budget in place and uh, make cuts. Uh, we were operating as if we had a million members. And we had uh, staff that was doing duplicate and triplicate work mm -hmm. where one person was doing it. And then there was people that uh, we no longer had those departments or no longer served a purpose. So we did have to do some layoffs. And th these were the tough decisions that had to be made. And unfortunately, that's what took place. And they're here recently with the COVID epidemic. That was another hard decision. Uh, we started to lose, uh, at the peak of the pandemic, 90,000 members. Wow. And right away, you do the math of the per capita coming in and what we're paying out. So right away, we knew that um, if we lost 50 members, 50,000 members, that we had to cut $14 million. Wow. If I did the math, 90,000 would have been $28 million or thereabouts. So we had to look at ways to come up with that money while our membership was suffering. And because we did make those changes early on, we were able to save for the so-called rainy day, which has now turned to a rainy year. But uh, got that we, right. It's been a year. That's we for sure. prepared, and unfortunately, we offered uh, volunteer voluntary retirement offers, and mm -hmm. we had to lay off staff. Right. Uh, but even even throughout all of that, there was still a lot of. Um, positive changes uh, that, you, that, that you're implementing. And, and if you could talk a little bit about that, some of the folks out there may not understand that uh, you've implemented a lot of programs that have really gotten us into the 21st century. Correct. So if Correct. you could just say so, touch on that a little bit. So as I, as I uh, attend meetings and uh, people complain or tell me what they like or don't like, my basically, I just say, I can't help you unless you tell me. So I knew that some of the questions were from the self-payers mm -hmm. who didn't want to do payroll deduction. So we implemented a direct deposit right out of your bank uh, that you wow. can do a reoccurring deposit to pay for your dues. Mm -hmm. And we also implemented online membership applications. We implemented um, organizing uh, campaigns, which we customize A-cards or petition cards uh, electronically so that a member can go online and just sign an A card for any campaign. And this way they don't have to 
fear retaliation from someone else seeing them sign the A cards. And during this COVID epidemic, uh, we did come up with um, contract ratification website that we can program an online ratification vote for the members wow. while we practice the CDC guidelines. Mm-hmm. That's uh, that's that's excellent. Um, and, and we've done all this with half the staff. Um, you know, a lot of our staff, um, we also provided at headquarters, um, you know, we're teleworking from home because we have to maintain their health and safety first. And so we implemented CDC guidelines in our building. And we were working, uh, our departments were still coming to work and they were working different days. Mm-hmm. The first floor came in on a certain day, second floor came in on another day, and the third floor came in on another day because we still had mails and dues reports and checks and we still had to keep the lights on. Yeah, right, exactly. So. Even throughout all of this, uh, the machine just kept moving forward. Absolutely. You know, and and uh, leadership is a huge, huge quality when it comes to stuff. It was just just tremendous amounts of stress, but uh, everybody came together and did what they had to do. You know, and Correct. and we're continuing to move forward, and that's fantastic. So, um, well, but let's get into the meat and the potatoes of what's what we want to talk about today too. Uh, uh, as people may or may not know, uh, there, there's an election for your position coming up on Correct. April on April 24th. Um, but there's been a number of accusations and mudslinging uh, by the other candidate over the past few weeks. And quite honestly, I'd be remiss if if we didn't talk about it. Um, so let's cut right to the chase and let's let's just clear the air. Let's let's talk facts and, and let's let's get to the truth, okay? Because that's what's driving people is we, we want to know the truth about about these allegations. So my first question has to do with the IAM Grand Lodge pension. Look, the contribution rate is now at thirty percent, uh, and apparently the claim is that you know Dora Cervantes mismanaged the pension fund somehow, and now we're at thirty percent. So. Let's hear the truth about what really is going on. Absolutely. So Dora Cervantes does not manage the pension plan. (laughs) It's the board of trustees that manage the pension plan. And I have to take my GST hat off for that because I serve as a trustee on that plan, along with the entire executive council. Um, The entire executive council. The entire executive council. And any change to the pension plan, any amendments, job description, notifications, come through the board of trustees and it's voted on. Okay. And the increase to the 30% contribution uh, is to make up for some of the previous years where little to no contribution was put in the plan. We were ill-advised, or the previous administration was ill-advised that our pension was in a good status. Thus, they stopped making pension contributions. So, wait a minute. So, we've got uh, a very stout pension plan doing very, very well. And for whatever reason, um, the as you, as you put it, and I agree, Ill, ill-advised advice is to stop making contributions. I mean... Well, let me ask you this: it, when, when they started doing that, did they were the benefits still getting paid off? Absolutely, we okay. were still paying monthly benefits to all the pensioners. Yeah, I mean, it, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure Correct. out that this is going the wrong way, right? I mean, you got your benefit level here, and you know your funding is obviously t- at some point that funding is going to run low. Right. And and you know we prior to that we were at thirty five percent contribution. Thirty five percent. Thirty five percent contribution. So this 30% number that we're at right now is is actually a leave it lower than what it was before. That is correct. So it's not a new number. It's not something no. that was just pulled out of the air and said, oh, well, let's just put it at 30%. No, it wasn't like that at correct. all. Okay. All right. So, so yeah, like if you just explain kind of how that works, obviously you're at 35%, you're fully funded, you've got a lot of benefits going out, and all of a sudden now you're starting to lose your funding and you get to a spot where... There's no contributions, right? Correct. So for the years that there was no contribution um, in the 2008 uh, market, uh, there was a lot of impact on our funding level. Sure. And uh, they they started the contribution back up, but it was still too low. It was not enough to make up for the loss that Mm -hmm. we had suffered. So under the guidance of our investment managers, the actuaries, the auditors. Uh, we had started working on this for a while, and 
we tried to look at all the best options that we could do, but we were at a point where we had no other option. Either we were, our pensioners were going to take a hit or we needed to move and move fast because if we waited later, that contribution was only going to increase either 40 or 50 percent. So the Board of Trustees, every single one of us voted unanimously to protect that pension plan and increase the contribution. So during that time, uh, again, that we'll just say the, the ditch for what it is. I mean, I could just see it from a visual standpoint. Um, TCU came in, into the play. And, that is correct. And, and TCU was merged with the IM. Can you can you talk a little bit about what did that mean for the pension plan and how that worked? Well, they were they their funding status uh, was not as good. Oh, okay. So that increased our liability as well. Okay. So that was an added factor to our pension plan. And you, and you took it on. Yes, you, correct. You took on the for the betterment of the membership, right? For the betterment of the right. membership, yes. Uh, and then, of course, uh, in still visualizing the ditch, um, we, we we can't go without saying what happened in two thousand eight. That didn't just happen. No. That didn't just affect uh, the pension plans within the IEM, but that was across the board, wasn't it? Absolutely, and impacted all all funding levels. On, but here's the thing. Um, you know, we're all, all the staff is part of that pension plan, you know, and we work just like an e-board. We don't, I don't single-handedly make the decision. It's right. made by everyone or every trustee that's on that board. And we are all going to reap that benefit. Mm -hmm. So it was to protect all of us, you know, even future. So again, I just, I just, I just want to reiterate this point because I think it's very important to set the record straight. The 30%, uh, the move to put it back to 30%, which is actually less than what it was prior to, to the ditch, okay, uh, was not a single-handed decision by you, Dora Cervantes, as the General Secretary Treasurer. That is correct. Okay. Well, so that's important for people to understand because, uh, you know, a lot of this stuff is is pretty foreign to people because, I mean, life's busy, right? I mean, correct. we're going to work yes. and we're just trying to provide for our families and we entrust and expect uh, honesty and integrity of the leaders that we put into those positions. Absolutely. And, and, uh, and, and with that integrity and experience comes uh, the honesty to be real about the situation, right? And to make yes. the tough decisions. Yes. Because that's, that's what you do. Sometimes they're not favorable and sometimes they're not popular, but they're the right things to do. Correct. Um, so... Let's just keep talking about that a little bit. So, uh, not, not necessarily that, but again, there's we're in this campaign, and and there's some other accusations floating around out there, and I just want you to have the opportunity to address these. The other accusation involves Local 2198, which you're familiar with. Yes, that's and, my home local. That's your home local. Um, where I understand uh, your sister once held office, uh, and uh, accusation was that uh, it was uncovered that the local was involved. Uh, in a mismanagement and a misappropriation of funds, and somehow um, you were involved in some type of cover-up, and again, you know, uh, allegations at this point. So this is your opportunity, Dora. Can you just set the set the record straight for everybody on how this works so they uh, so they hear it directly from you? Absolutely. So we had inquiries as to some of the some of my members of 2198 who were denied disaster relief fund and uh, who were denied uh, taking classes at W3 because uh, their membership was not up to date. And um, Transportation Department inquired about these allegations. And while they were there, they uncovered some misappropriation of mm. funds. Okay. It took them a while. Normally, um, if there is some investigation that needs to be done, on the financial side, it's immediately turned over to my office. Okay. That did not happen. Um, the local lodge, um, even though they were delinquent in their dues, those dues are handled by District Lodge 142. The okay. secretary treasurer receives the dues from the employer, process passes the per capita portion to the Grand Lodge and the per capita portion to the local lodge. And they were delinquent 
from six, well, we get the delinquent report in six months. So they were delinquent from six months to a, a year. So transportation department after almost a year handed it over to my department. Being that it was close and personal, I recused myself and it was handed to General Vice President Brian Bryant mm -hmm. and Paul Kendall. And an auditor was immediately assigned to go over the finances of that local. And yes, there was misappropriation of funds. And the three principal officers uh, were, were asked to resign or be removed. And we held, or they held shortage hearings. Two of the officers, my sister included, immediately paid the local lodge back the money. The third officer, which is the ST, um, did not want to do a hearing and they could not get a hold of him. I don't know for what reasons, but at that point, uh, a bond was filed with the bonding company to pay the local lodge back his portion. So, uh, again, again, that's that's the purpose of the bonding company, right? Is Correct. To, is to protect the local uh, and and uh, the officers that oversee either the local or the district fr from this from happening, right? Correct. And, and so, so that process went through to completion. Correct. We have a shortage policy in place. Uh, it's defined under our Constitution, Article 7, on financial fiduciary um, obligations. And so once the bonding is filed, the bonding company then turns it over to the Department of Labor. The Department of Labor tried to contact the Secretary Treasurer, who had avoided the hearing and the due diligence. And this is District Lodge 142 that oversees Local Lodge 2198. Correct. Okay, all right. So um, I don't know that they ever met with him or not, but the Department of Labor reached out to me as the General Secretary Treasurer and basically asked uh, what kind of direction I give to Local Lodge 2198. Uh, do I show them or do I order them to pay their bills or instruct them on their administration, and I said, absolutely not. That is not my role. They are driven by membership vote. I said, I have nothing to do with it, and that was simply that. So you're, you are not under investigation by the Department of Labor? I am not under investigation, never have been, and uh, when they called to ask me questions, I answered. I mean, that's a pretty extreme allegation to be leveling against somebody, especially in this day and age and with everything that we, you know, fight for in the movement. Um, Absolutely. You know, uh, to, to, to make a false allegation like that is uh, pretty extraordinary. Considering, yes. you know, considering, you know, when when members make decisions on, on who they should select as their leaders, their integrity is paramount to everything. So I just, that's just a personal thing that I just got to say, because as you know, we talk about this on the podcast we have for years uh, about the integrity of people that serve in positions. So um, can't help but kind of raise your eyebrow at that one. So, um, so, okay, currently, and again, to make it clear, you're not under investigation by the Department of Labor. No, I am not under investigation. Okay, okay so... And I had nothing to do with 2198 or cover up with 2198. I recused myself early on and due process was given to them as it's to all district and local lodges who... And, and, and I guess here's, here's the point though too is, is by you taking and having the foresight to understand that there could be a perception of a conflict of interest. I'm going to recuse myself because of that relationship you had. Correct. It's not like the process ended. I mean, it was just passed on to another general vice president and they went through the, through the, the, the motions, I guess, to get to the end of the investigation and take appropriate action. Correct. And at this time it's been resolved. Correct. Okay. Um, did the, and the members of the local 2198, they got their funds reinstated, right? That was the bonding company that Correct. reinstated them. Okay. And so the there two was, members said paid it back. So there's been no loss to the local. Correct. Again, an internal type of situation, which we pride ourselves on to, to correct. So, um, so what's this incorrect reporting of membership numbers uh, at 2198 under your direction, that allegation? What's that all about? That does not happen under my direction. So again... The employer, Southwest United, uh, all employers that fall under 
the local lodge 2198 who does the uh, 142 does their reports mm -hmm. the employee employer gives the dues and the numbers or the names of the people that paid their dues it goes directly to 142 they process all the reports and they divide the per capita based on the number of members they don't come to me and currently what district 142 is under the financial direction of the current financial secretary and that would be uh, Ian Scott Anderman correct correct okay um, so let's let's just kind of talk let's let's just move out now to the 20,000 foot level we were at the 5,000 foot level now let's go up to the 20,000 foot level so let's talk about the big picture um, look you're the first female to serve as GST uh, you're also the first Latina to serve on the executive council from a personal standpoint, what does that mean to you? I'm honored and I'm proud. Mm -hmm. And it means that uh, as a woman, as a woman of color, that I want to serve as a token, a mentor, and I want to inspire our women, our members, that they too can do it. Absolutely. You know, I was a mother, oh, I am a mother, and put my kids through school, juggled juggled my daily life, my union life, my leadership life, and I, I was able to do it, earn my two degrees while doing all that as well. Really? Yes. And that's that, that's a hell of a lot of dedication. It really is. I'm just saying that. I mean, I, that's... That's because I have no life. It's just all union life. <laughs> it's work and study. What, what we what we do for the movement, right, right. sister? And that's yes. that's that's kind of how it is. But that's that's great, though. I mean, you you're you're con in other words, you know what I'm getting out of what we're talking about here is you're a very driven individual that is it's just really looking not only to better yourself, but by bettering yourself, you're helping others better themselves. Absolutely. You know, I mean that that that's what I'm hearing, and that's. That's great, and I, and I hope people are, are really taking note of this because those are really uh, very, very, uh, very strong leadership. I'm a bodies. big supporter for adult education, and every time I speak, I always encourage our members to take advantage of the free college and yeah. go to the leadership classes and get pursue your career. Right, exactly, and it's and it's another great. Uh, it's another great tool that we have uh, is the free college benefit, you know, for our members. You know? Yes. And that was that's just a recent uh, program that's been put Correct. in place as well too. So, um, great conversation. This is this is just fantastic. But I, I want to talk about uh, just briefly uh, about a picture that's been floating around out there on social media. Maybe you can kind of give us a little bit of a little bit of history on it. Uh, it's got a lot of attention, likes and attention. Uh, and you apparently you're like a, a, a Boeing strike. Yes. Uh, and that uh, looks like it says uh, 1995 right there. So you can tell us a little bit about that picture. Yes, that's correct. Actually, I had just had my daughter uh, three months earlier, and uh, I had flown to Seattle for a District Lodge 142 conference, and uh, right down the street, uh, our Boeing brothers and sisters were out on strike. It was cold and raining, but uh, we went out there to walk the picket lines, as I will do with any of our members. And so we went over there to give them support and stand side by side with them and help them fight their cause. And wow, yeah, I do it for anybody. And, 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 and um, your child was only three months old. Yep. I mean, that's that's uh, it's a lot of personal sacrifice. It is. When it comes with these positions, it's not... Uh, it's not something to take lightly because there's a lot of commitment uh, from a person. You know, I could side. have stayed home with my child, and instead I went to the conference and went to walk the picket lines. It's what we do. And uh, having having children and a whole ton of grandchildren myself, by the way, uh, <laughs> they uh, they grow up in a union household and they understand why we make the sacrifices. That Absolutely. We do. You know, at first, you know, they might not like it so much, but over time, they, 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 I, I'm a firm believer that they grow to appreciate the commitment that's necessary to help other people, which you've obviously done your whole life. Yes. Um, so uh, it, it's just been a great conversation. I really appreciate it. Is, is there anything, let me ask you this. So when we talked about the strike fund and, and the finances, uh, when, when workers are out there making that tough decision to say, 
this isn't good enough. We we need we we need to we need to strike the company to try to get a better contract. What would you tell members that are in the voting booth and they're trying to make that hard decision from from your perspective and from your position as the GST? What would you tell that member that's trying to make that decision? That myself and the executive council has their back. Our strike fund is solid and it's available to any of our members that want to take that employer on. If you believe wholeheartedly that you need to make the decision to go out and strike, we got your back. And, and that, I will stand with you shoulder to shoulder. I, and that's that's proof positive because there's a picture of the Boeing strike in 1995 where you're on the strike line. So and I was just on ago. the strike line with District Lodge 15 down in Houston during okay. the hurricane. I was just up at Triumph up in uh, Spokane. Right. Yeah, so that's that, that is, uh, that's comforting to people when they're making those tough decisions that you, they have somebody in their corner, uh, like well, yourself. So I, I just want to thank you again for for taking the time to have this conversation. I think it's valuable, uh, and I look forward to possibly having some more conversations with you in the future. Absolutely. Thank you for having me, and thank you to our listeners. And and uh, I just want to throw this out there, too, you know, uh, for the folks on the opposite side of the political spectrum, um, I offer the ability or the if the desire, if they want to come in and have a conversation with us on the solidarity effect about where their positions are, uh, Ian Scott Anderman, uh, you're you're welcome to come on and have a conversation so they can hear your side of the story on a great many things. So I'll just put that out there. And again, I just want to thank everybody for taking the time to, uh, to listen to this very important uh, podcast and a lot of the information shared. I know it was a long one. Uh, but we're going to be talking to some more people in the coming weeks. And uh, again, Dora, uh, hopefully we talk to you again soon. Absolutely. So you take care of yourself, and we want everybody to be safe out there. And everybody have a good week, and we'll uh, talk to you next week. Thank you. The election for the General Secretary Treasurer's position is coming up on Saturday, April 24th from 6 a.m. to 8 a.m. and 6 p.m. to 8 p.m., Check your local for voting location if you plan to vote in person, or you can vote absentee. Visit goiam.org website for the absentee ballot request form and guidelines to make sure that your vote counts. Get your request in early to avoid mail delays. Vote for Dora Cervantes for General Secretary Treasurer.